So how many of you assumed college would be just like high school? How, how many of you said, let me see, see a show of hands. None of you. That makes me the idiot. Okay, so uh, I, I'm glad none of you assumed high school was going to be like, or college would be like high school, because I did. Okay, I assumed college would be just like high school, and so I got in a lot of trouble. Like this, this caused a lot of problems for me. Okay, uh, number one, here, here was the, the first problem. Um, I didn't have a mom to wake me up for my 8 a.m. class, and so I missed a lot of them, okay? Assuming um, it would be easy to get to those classes because it had always been easy before I had a mom that was waking me up. I didn't have to wake up, set my own alarm, and, and get up on my own. Like, I had a mom that was helping me and, and reminding me and telling me over and over, hey, you got to get up, you got to get up, you gotta get, it's time for school, it's time for school, it's time for okay? So, so, so that was one assumption, okay? Uh, the other assumption was because I was good at math that I would still continue to be good at math. And uh, I would learn that I wasn't really good at math. Like I was good in high school. Uh, I made good grades in high school. In fact, I made A's. I was an honor student. I graduated with, with honors. And so I assumed that the same would be true in college. But I didn't realize, I didn't know that I was going to have a, a teaching assistant that showed up high, like to every class and would teach us, uh, would, would teach us math. And so I, I didn't realize because I didn't know that I was going to have to like read on my own and, and study. Like I just assumed that I wouldn't have to do that because I didn't have to do that in high school. And so midway through the semester, like that first year at the end of the first semester at tech, I get this notice that I'm on academic probation. That's not honors. I don't know. I don't know if you realize that like I was not an honor student, like my first year at tech, I was on academic probation because I made all these assumptions. And then my parents weren't happy with me. Like if you get on academic probation, you'll find out real quick, like you're going to have some problems with your parents. And, and so I did, and it happened because I made a lot of assumptions, but you know what they say uh, happens when you assume, right? You, you know what happens, right? It makes a, man, the first service, someone actually said it. It said, then someone yelled out, ass. And I was like, oh, you said it, not me. Now I got to say it, okay? So, so it makes that out of you and me. That's what happens when you assume. It gets you in a lot of trouble. And the Bible says that the same thing can happen with God. I'm like, what? What are you talking about here? Okay, the same thing can happen when you make assumptions about God. If you got your Bible, go to Psalm chapter 50, Psalm 50. I want to show you uh, what the Bible says about making assumptions about God, what he's like, what he thinks, what he wants. When we make assumptions about God, it doesn't go well for us. And the same thing is true with Jesus. And you'll see here in a little bit that Jesus is God. But when we make assumptions about Jesus, who he is, what he's like, what the way he thinks, it spells trouble for us. Now, I would encourage you, because we're going to be in a lot of different places tonight, go to RaiderChurch.com, uh, select message notes on your phone, and you can follow along with us, the verses and the points, everything's there so that you can save it and, and take it with you. But Psalm chapter 50, let's go, let's see what God has to say about these assumptions. But to the wicked person, God says, what right do you have to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. 
You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. When you did these things, and I kept silent, watch this. You thought, or you assumed, I was exactly like you. You thought, you assumed that I, God, was like you. And God says, this is wicked. It's wicked to assume that God is like us, that he thinks like us, that he agrees with us, that he's okay with everything that we say, do, and think. It's wicked, the Bible says, to think like this, to assume who God is, what he's like, what he wants. This is wicked to God. And and we do this a lot, right? I mean, when you hear someone say like, well, my God would never do this. My God would never do that. Or you'll see this. This happens a lot. I see this a lot. Someone will tweet something real cute and inspirational and it makes you feel good, you know, makes you feel all happy inside and and good. And and we we see these things. My God would never do this. Or or those the the happy kind of hallmark inspirational stuff that we see on social media. And there's no chapter in verse. And you think, where did you get that? Where where, where does that come from? Well, it comes from our own opinions. It comes from our point of view. You see, you and I as humans, we have a human point of view. We have a self, not in the negative sense, but but we have a self-centered point of view. That's how we look at things. And that's how we form our opinions based upon what we think, how it makes us feel. That's how we form our opinions. We We have a self Centered, we have a human centered point of view. Well, God, all throughout the Bible, we see He has a point of view, He has thoughts, He has opinions about things, He has a God point of view. And it's on us as the creation, because He's the creator, it's on us to change our point of view to match His, not to expect or to think that God is going to agree with me. God says that's wicked. To expect or to think that God is going to agree with me and my opinions and my point of view. And so when we consider, well, what, what, what's God like and, and what's right and, and, and what's wrong? We, we often go to our opinion. And when in reality, our opinions about things don't really matter. What really matters is God's opinion about things. And God has given us his opinion about a lot of things in his Word And when we ignore it, as we see in Psalm 50, when we ignore his instruction, his point of view, and we formulate our own, God says, that's wicked. Because what you're doing is turning yourself into God. You turn yourself into God. When you become the standard of what's right and wrong, when you become the standard of truth, when you become, your opinion becomes the standard of who God is and what he's like. That's turning yourself into God. It's called idolatry. It's the things that false religions have been made from all throughout history, guessing as to who God is, what he's like, what he wants. When we do that, there's there's six, seven billion people on the planet now, we end up forming six to seven billion different gods because we all have different opinions about who he is and what he's like. And so that does nothing but create or engender idolatry. False religions. 
gods that don't really even exist. And so how, how do we get to know God and what he's like and what he wants? How, how do we get to, we don't, we don't have to guess. God has actually revealed himself to us. In other words, he's disclosed himself, who he is and what he's like and, and what he wants. And the first way that he's done that is through his word. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, all scripture is God breathed. God breathed. God inspired, God directed, God used men and women to write scripture and he used men and women, he guided them, he, he directed them to, to formulate what's called the canon of scripture, the, the Bible. And so sometimes people will say, well, you know, we, you, know you can't really trust the Bible and God, men put it together. Listen, if God can create everything out of nothing and he can raise his son Jesus from the dead, then it's not really hard for him to lead and direct man to write and to formulate the scripture. That's nothing for him. That's easy for God. And so God has disclosed himself. He's revealed to himself to us through his word. All scripture is God breathed. God inspired. God led. God directed. But then two, secondly, God has ultimately, ultimately, he's revealed himself to us through Jesus. Through Jesus. The message of the New Testament is that Jesus is God. That, that's, that's the message of the New Testament. Jesus is God. We're not really left with another option. Some people will say, well, you know, uh, Jesus was a great teacher and he had great things to say. Listen, we're not left with that option. Jesus didn't claim to be a good teacher. He actually, he claimed to be God. His followers claimed that he was the risen, risen from the dead, son of God. He was God in the flesh. And so we're only left with three options with Jesus. He can't be a good teacher. We're only left with three options. Number one, he was a liar. He knew he wasn't God and he lied about it and he tricked everyone. Two, he was a lunatic. He was crazy. He really thought he was God and he, he really believed it, but he wasn't. He was, he was crazy. He had lost it. And he tricked his followers. They, they believed him. You know, the Bible says, the Gospels actually say that Jesus' brothers, he had several, they thought he was crazy. And that makes sense, right? What if your brother told you he was the son of God? You'd be like, bro, you're not God. You can, you can, you can say that all you want. You're not God. You've lost it, man. You're crazy, okay? That's what we would say if our brother told us, hey, we're God. Well, that's what Jesus' brothers did to him. The Gospels actually say that, that his family thought he was crazy. And James, his brother, thought he was crazy. But then James sees Jesus risen from the dead. And then James writes a letter, James, in our New Testament. And in chapter one, he says, James, the brother of Jesus, is a servant of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What would convince you that, Jesus, that, that your, your brother was the son of God? Well, if he rose from the dead, you might think twice. You might think, well, okay, maybe, maybe you are the son of God. I don't know. I mean, you rose from the dead. Maybe there's some truth to this. Well, James thinks Jesus is crazy, his brother. Then he sees him risen from the dead. He gives his life to his brother, saying he's his Lord and Savior, and follows Jesus as the son of God. He ends up dying a martyr's death like all the other disciples who claim they saw Jesus risen from the dead. So he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or as all the disciples, including Jesus' brothers and his family would believe later, after seeing him risen from the dead, he is Lord. Liar, lunatic, 
or Lord. There's no other option. Jesus isn't just some good teacher. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the son of God, and he is Lord of all. So the message of the New Testament is that Jesus is God. I'll prove it to you. Check this out. This is from John the disciple in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. What's this Word? Who, who, Who is this Word who was in the beginning and was with God? And the word, this word was God. Who, who is this word? He's exi- this word has existed from the beginning, was with God in the beginning, and is God. This word is God. It's the Greek word logos. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, so through this word, this word is a hymn, all things were made. So this word, this hymn, made everything that we, that we see and know. The Latin is ex nihilo, out of nothing. Science has actually confirmed now that there was a big bang. There was a beginning to the universe. And before the big bang, before the beginning of the universe, there was nothing. Like, like nothing, nothing. No matter, no particles, there was nothing. And so either nothing created nothing, some, somehow, or some transcendent God who exists outside of matter, time, and space created everything. So either nothing created nothing or some transcendent being outside of time and space created everything. And the Bible teaches us that God, through this word, who will become Jesus, we'll see here in a second, created everything, ex nihilo, out of nothing, God created. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him... This word that was in the beginning and was God, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The word, John says in verse 14, this word that through whom all things were made became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. And this word, the son is full of grace and truth. Let's keep going. John says this in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. So no one's ever seen God, but The son who is the word who through whom all things were made took on flesh and now reveals who God is to us. So who is this word? Who is this son? It's Jesus. John's saying no one's ever seen God, but we have the son and the son, the word, the word, the logos is God has always existed and is God. Let's keep going. Paul says this in Colossians 1 verse 15 about this, the son, Jesus. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, Jesus, and for him. All things were created through Jesus and exist, find their meaning and purpose in Jesus, is what Paul says. He, Jesus, is before all things. 
And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased, watch this, to have all his fullness dwell in him. All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. So Paul's saying Jesus is God. Let's keep going. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three, the writer of Hebrews says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. So in other words, we have the word. He spoke through the prophets and, and, and so we have the, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, but, but God has spoken that way. He has. It's like we said, but, 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 uh, the, the first way God has revealed himself to us is through his word. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The writer of Hebrews says, the son, Jesus, is the exact representation of God. So you want to get to know God, what he's like, the way he thinks, what he wants from us, you get to know Jesus. You get to know Jesus and then you begin to know who God is because God has revealed himself to us. He's disclosed himself. We don't have to guess. We read his word. We get to know him. We look at Jesus. We get to know Jesus and we get to know God. So in this series, tonight's an intro to where we're going up until spring break. In this series, we're going to be looking at who is the real Jesus because Psalm 50 says, that we tend to think that he is just like us. And when we make that assumption, it means nothing but trouble for you and me. When we think that Jesus, God, is just like us, that he's okay with everything that we think, say, and do. When we make that assumption, God says, it's wicked. It's wicked. So in this series, we're getting to know the real Jesus. And here's what I want you to consider tonight. Maybe, just maybe, the Jesus that you've thought of or you've imagined or you've pictured isn't the real Jesus. Maybe. Because some assumptions you've had about God or, or, or Jesus, maybe because some of those assumptions that the Jesus you think of, that you picture, that you imagine isn't the real Jesus. Maybe the Jesus you think of doesn't even exist. Maybe it's a fake Jesus. Maybe. We should at least consider it because it's, it, it's to God, it, it's wicked to think that Jesus, God, is just like us. Is everything that we would picture and imagine. So maybe, maybe we've had a fake Jesus in, in mind. So in this series, we want to get to know the real Jesus. Now, the assumptions that we typically make about Jesus is we, we think in, in the way that he's like us, we assume that he's like us in certain ways. And so if my personality is like this, or if I tend to lean this way or that way, or I begin to think like this, we, we kind of picture Jesus in that direction. And here's what I mean. Here's, here's an example, okay? So you have these disciples, James and, and John. And they're going with Jesus, like the rest of the disciples, they're going from village to village and they're preaching uh, the good news of the kingdom. 
And so they go from village to village and they're, they're preaching about Jesus. And when they, when they go to one village, there's people that believe and there's people that don't, that don't believe. People start following Jesus and some don't. Well, they go to this one village, it's a Samaritan village. And they're, they're preaching the good news of the kingdom. And it says that they weren't received. The, the Samaritans weren't uh, Jews. They were non-Jews. And so they weren't spiritual. They didn't, they didn't believe in God. And, and so they weren't received in this one Samaritan village. Well, when they leave the village, James and John, who were kind of fiery, okay, real strong, opinionated personalities, okay, real fiery. Here's what they say to Jesus when they, when they leave this village, who, who didn't receive them in their message. They say, Jesus... Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume all these people? And Jesus is like, what? No, no, that's not why we came here. Okay, that's, that's not why I'm here. I didn't come to destroy people's lives. Jesus. I came to save people. And the Bible says that Jesus rebukes them for thinking or assuming that's what he would want to do. They thought that Jesus was kind of like them. With that fiery, strong kind of personality. And they make this assumption. Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not why I've come. You, you're, you're, you're not understanding me. You're not getting me. You think I'm like you. But that's not why I've come. I've, came to, I've come to save people. You see, we tend to see Jesus through the lens of who we are and the way that we think we try to peg Jesus or define him, put him in this, this box because that makes us more comfortable. If we can peg him or we can put him in this box, it's kind of like us. That makes us comfortable to think that he is like me. But Jesus is always making people uncomfortable. I mean, he made sinners uncomfortable by telling them to leave their life of sin. He made the, the righteous, the spiritual, the self-righteous uncomfortable by, by rebuking them for their self-righteousness and their judgmental attitudes. He made his own followers uncomfortable by telling them, hey, if you're going to follow me, you got to take up your cross, die to yourself and what you want and follow me. He made everyone around him uncomfortable. Because everyone around him expected him to think and to act and to do things they would do. They would think the way they would act. So there's generally two assumptions that we make about Jesus. And everything that we're going to talk about in the series, most of which will fall into one of these two assumptions that we tend to make, uh, make about Jesus. The first one is what we've been saying is this, is that he, Jesus, is just like me. And he isn't. He's God. And so here's some ways that Jesus is not like you and me. Number one, he's fully God. You and I are not God. Jesus, the message of the New Testament, was that he was fully God. And, and you and I are, are, are not God. The Bible says that Jesus was without sin. That's not true of us. I don't know about you. I mean, I've sinned. I've, I've messed up. The Bible says in Romans 3, we've all sinned. There's no one good. You might see on Twitter, you're enough. You're, you're enough. The Bible says you're not. <laughs> you're, you're not good enough to be right with God, to go to heaven when you die. You, you, you're not. Because you've sinned. The Bible says you've broken God's law. You've fallen short of his standard, which is perfection. To be right with him, to go to heaven when you die. So Jesus was without sin. You, you and I have, have sinned. 
Jesus died for all sin, becoming the one mediator between us and God. Jesus is the one mediator between us and God. I can't mediate my own sin, which means I can't fix my broken life. The fact that I've fallen short of God's sin, I can't fix that. I can't do that on my own. I can't mediate my broken relationship with God. You can't do that for me. There's no priest that can do that for me. Mary can't do that for me. No one can mediate the broken relationship between me and God except Jesus, the Bible says. First Timothy chapter two. There's one mediator between us and God. There's only one that can fix the broken relationship between mankind and God, and that is Jesus. He is the only bridge. Jesus said it like this. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to heaven except through me. I'm the one mediator. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm sorry to break it to you, but you are not the way, the truth, and the life. Neither am I. Jesus is not like us. He is fully God. Jesus, through him, all things were created. I don't know about you. I can't create anything out of nothing. I can take some sticks or something and put something together or some Legos and I can build, but those things exist already and I'm making something. No one on the face of the planet can create out of nothing, ex nihilo. No one. Only God can create everything or something out of nothing. All things, it says, we read, exist for him. So life is about him. Life's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about anything. Life is about Jesus. All things exist for him and his purposes. So this life is about him. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's one of the ways that Jesus is not like us is that everything exists for him, his name, his glory, his fame, making much of him, not of ourselves. So, so real life, true life is found in making much of Jesus, not of myself, of making him famous, not me, increasing his followers, not my followers. That's where life is found. All things exist for him, his name and his purposes, not, not mine. So this assumption that Jesus is like me leads to idolatry. It turns me into God and it leads to idolatry. It leads to false religion. And God says, that's, that's wicked. And so the first kind of category of assumptions we'll see about Jesus will we'll fall into this. The second category of assumptions will fall into this area, this, this, this category. Number two, that Jesus isn't like me. He is like you, actually. <laughs> what? You, you've been telling us this whole time that God is not like us. That's true. But Hebrews 2 says that Jesus took on flesh and became like us in every way. He became like us in every way. And, th- and this is huge. And so here are some of the ways that Jesus is, is like us. John chapter 4 Jesus is traveling and says that he gets tired and he sits down. He wants a drink of water. He's thirsty. You ever been tired? You ever worked hard and been tired? Thirsty, hungry? 
needed to sit down, needed to rest. John chapter 4 says that Jesus was tired and he needed to sit down and he got a drink of water because he was thirsty. Jesus was betrayed by those closest to him. You ever felt betrayed? You ever had a broken relationship with a family member, a friend, a boyfriend, or a girlfriend? You ever felt betrayed? Jesus was betrayed by those closest to him. You know, when he was arrested, it says that all the disciples, all of his followers deserted him. Jesus felt alone. Have you ever felt alone? Like you were kind of all on your own, all by yourself. Jesus had everyone desert him. He felt alone. In the garden before he went to the cross, Jesus, knowing the cross was coming, says that he was overwhelmed with grief to the point of death. You ever felt overwhelmed? You ever grieved? You ever felt like dying? Jesus did. Jesus said he was so overwhelmed, he was almost, he, he was ready to die. He would rather die. He said, God, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering from me. Jesus knew what was coming, and he was overwhelmed to the point of death, where some of the, the gospels say he would, he actually sweated drops of blood. That's how anxious, that's how overwhelmed he was in this moment before the cross. You ever felt overwhelmed? Jesus did. You ever felt sad because you lost someone? Maybe a family member, maybe a friend. And you grieve that loss so badly that you could just sob and sob and sob. Jesus did. Jesus lost a a close friend in Lazarus. And the Bible says that Jesus wept because of how sad he was. You ever felt sad? The Bible says that Jesus was made like us. And he went through everything that we did. And, 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 and so here's the danger here of making this assumption that Jesus is not like you. Here's the danger. Is that you begin to see Jesus, God, as distant or impersonal. That he doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about what you're going through. And that he doesn't see you or hear you. That's the danger of thinking that Jesus, that God, is not like you. You begin to see him as distant. And he doesn't care. And so you see how consequential it is and everything we're going to be talking about in this series is because one extreme leads to idolatry. The other extreme leads to seeing God as some distant being who's not involved or caring about my daily life. And so I know you're here and you're like, bro, it's either or. He's either like us or he's not like us. It, it, it's either or. And I would say, no, it's not. It's not either or, it's both and. The message of the Bible is that Jesus is both and. He's not like us, he's fully God. But he was made like us, he's fully man. 
It's not either or, it's both and. And so here's what you're going to see in this series about Jesus. That he is greater than you can possibly imagine. He's scarier than you can possibly imagine. He's more gracious than you can possibly imagine. And at the same time, he's more demanding than you can possibly imagine. He's more inclusive than you can possibly imagine. And at the same time, he's more exclusive than you could possibly imagine. He's more tolerant than you can possibly imagine. And at the same time, he's more intolerant than you can possibly imagine. He's more about now, the, the present, today, this moment, than you could possibly imagine. And at the same time, he's more about the eternal, then, the later, than you can possibly imagine. And, and I know, in our minds, we say, no, 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 it's either or, but the Bible says... Jesus is both and he's fully God. He's fully man. You know, in the NFL this past year, there was so much rage about how defense is gone. It's all offense. Offense is the new thing. And so where everyone's hiring the new Sean McVay to install the offense that will dominate the NFL. It's all offense. Defense is of the past. Defense wins championship. No, that, that's in the past until you get to the Super Bowl. And we have the snooze fest that the Super Bowl was because it was all defense, right? So is it offense or is it defense? Well, if you're Alabama, Clemson, or the New England Patriots, you figured it out. It's not either or it's both and it's both and. And if you're the Patriots, it's a little bit of luck with the coin toss too, but we're not going to go there. Okay. So, so it's both and Jesus is fully God and fully man. So why is this good news? Because this is comforting and discomforting all at the same time. So, so why is this good? Why is this good news? Why is this tension good for you and for me? Well, if you go back to John 1, verse 14, it says that the Son, this Word, Jesus, was full of grace and truth. He wasn't just gracious. He wasn't just truthful. He's full of grace and truth. It's not either or. It's not grace or truth. It's grace and truth. And he's full of both. He's full of grace and truth. You could say it like this. All grace plus all truth equals real love. This is, this is Jesus right here. All grace and all truth, all the time, that is real love. Grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace. He was full of truth. And that is real love. And I, I want to just submit this to you tonight. This is what your soul is longing for. Real love. Real love. Not, not something fake. Real love is all grace and all truth. And this is what your soul, your heart is longing for. The Bible says eternity has been placed in the hearts of men. This desire for something that we can't quite explain until we meet it. And his name is Jesus, full of grace and truth. It's what your soul is longing for. Real grace, real love, all grace, all truth. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you've met him. And he satisfied you. 
And he's brought you that peace, that joy, that fulfillment that you couldn't find in anything else. And every time you run to something else, you realize, oh, yeah, 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 that's, that's not where I'm going to find joy. That's not where I'm going to find peace. That's not where I'm going to find the satisfaction and the fulfillment that my soul is longing for. I already met it in Jesus. And so we come running back to him because that's real love. And some of you here tonight, you've never given your life to Christ. You've never experienced fully grace and fully truth, real love. But tonight is your night. It's your time to give your life to Christ. The Bible says, as we said before, that none of us are without sin. We've all broken God's law. And you you break God's law, you pay God's fine. God's fine for sin, Jesus said, is eternity separated from him in hell, where there is eternal punishment. You know, from Jesus, we get this picture of hell, this definition of hell, where it's the eternal conscious punishment of the wicked. That's according to Jesus. But God loves you so much. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were sinners, like in the midst of our rebellion, God loves you so much that he showed, he showed his love. He displayed his love. He didn't just say it, he displayed it. He showed it by sending Jesus to die on the cross to pay your fine for sin. So that simply by trusting in him, not in yourself, not in your good works, not in your church attendance or anything else, not in maybe your good outweighing your bad, but trusting in Jesus, the son of God. When you trust in him, the Bible says your sin, past, present, and future is forgiven. You're made right with God in a moment. God declares you righteous, right with him. The Bible says this, it says like the second Corinthians, him who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for you. So that those who are in him might become the righteousness of God. It's not something you attain. It's not something you work for. It's not something you, you earn because of your good works, a righteous standing with God. No, you become righteous in a moment when God declares you righteous because of your faith in Jesus who died for your sin, paid your fine. When you give your life to Jesus, your sin is forgiven. You're made right with God. And you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. You can be sure. Not because of what you can do, but because of what Jesus has already done for you. He said, it's finished. When he died on the cross, it's finished. It is done. Your fine has been paid in full because of what he did for you on the cross. So some of you are here tonight, you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time. It's what your soul is longing for. You will wonder, you will search, and you will continue to be disappointed and broken and experience the pain and the regret that comes from running from what your soul was designed for. Real love. It's only found in Jesus. So if that's you, and you wanna give your life to Jesus tonight, just let us know about it. Go to RaiderChurch.com, fill out our connect form, and check the box that says that you wanna give your life to Jesus. But I got some challenges for you for this series. Okay, normally I give you one, You got four tonight, special, okay? Special night as we start this new series, okay? So so four challenges. The first one is this, commit to come each week. Commit to come each week to this series that we're in, Fake Jesus. It's gonna take us all the way up to spring break, okay? Now, here's what this means. It means you can't 
procrastinate. I know week four of the semester's coming up. That means tests. It means you're going to, to plan and be responsible, adult a little bit, and prepare to come each week. To get to know the real Jesus. And maybe, just maybe identify some places that you've assumed about Jesus that don't really exist. They're fake. So I want to challenge you to come each week. Second challenge is this. Ask God to make you uncomfortable. We said this last week, but anytime you read God's word, anytime you're, you're, you get close to Jesus, it means you're going to get uncomfortable. And that's true in life. If you're going to grow, it means getting uncomfortable. If you want to lose weight, it means getting uncomfortable. If you want the promotion, it means getting uncomfortable. Okay. Everything that's good in life usually means you have to get uncomfortable. You want to have babies one day? Trust me, you're gonna be uncomfortable, okay? The same thing is true in your spiritual life. You want to grow? It means getting uncomfortable. So ask God, God, help me to be okay with getting uncomfortable in this series. I'm probably going to be faced with some things I think or do or say or believe, and they're not going to line up with your words. So God, help me to be okay with, with getting uncomfortable. Everyone around Jesus was made uncomfortable. So pray and ask God, God, help me to be okay with this, with getting uncomfortable. Third, read the gospel of Matthew. You know, if you read one chapter a day, in the Gospel of Matthew, you would complete the book of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. You would complete it on the last day of this series, right before spring break. Now, I know some of you are like, I'm going to do it. And then you're going to read all 28 chapters like the last Tuesday, you know, before spring break. Okay, on the 28th day, you'll, you'll read all 20. Okay, I just want to challenge to read the Gospel of Matthew and to get a picture of who Jesus is. His life, his death, his resurrection. Get to know Jesus, read a, read a chapter a day and you would complete the whole book of Matthew before spring break. And then finally, here's the last challenge is to be a bringer. Be a bringer, here's what, here's what I mean by this. The first semester, five years ago at Raider Church, we had a kid named Aaron start coming and he gave his life to Christ. Now Aaron's life was so dramatically changed that he started inviting everyone he knew to come to Raider Church with him to meet Jesus, this guy who changed his life. And so he started inviting people, inviting people, and there were several of them that told us later they didn't want to come and they kept putting him off. But he kept asking them over and over and over again. And one by one, they came and one by one, they gave their life to Christ. But I'll never forget this one guy. One of his friends who said, I didn't want to come. I didn't want to have anything to do with church. I didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus, but he kept inviting me, he kept inviting me, and I didn't want to come. And one day he said, Aaron showed up at my house and he said he wasn't going to leave until I came with him. He said, he literally grabbed me by the arm and said, come on, we're going. And took him out to his car and brought him to Raider Church. And at Aaron's funeral, that friend told us that he gave his life to Christ because Aaron wouldn't stop. He wouldn't stop telling him 
about what Jesus had done for him. He wouldn't stop inviting him to the place where he met Jesus. Aaron was a bringer. And that summer after the very first semester of Raider Church, Aaron was in a car wreck and, and died, but he left behind an eternal legacy as his friends told us one by one at his funeral that they gave their life to Christ because of Aaron. Be a bringer. It will change people's lives. Now let's stand, we're gonna worship, our team's gonna lead us, we're gonna sing about the name that's above every name, that's Jesus. And as we do, I want you to picture this. There was one time where Jesus took three guys, Peter, James, and John, up to the top of this mountain. And they get up to the top of this mountain and all of a sudden Jesus begins to change. And the gospel writers say that Jesus began to, to, to shine like as bright as lightning, like his eyes begin to shine, his face begin to shine, his, his clothes begin to shine as white as lightning. And they got scared because all of a sudden they saw Moses and Elisha. They, they were dead, they died a long time ago. But the disciples saw Jesus talking with, Eli, with, with Elijah and Moses and Jesus changing. It's called the transfiguration. Jesus began to change like right in front of their eyes and they didn't know what was going on. And so Peter, totally freaked out, says, I don't know what's happening here, but this is good. And so he said, let's stay here. Let me build three shelters, one for you, Jesus, one for Elijah and one for Moses. And the Bible actually says this about Peter. It says, he didn't know what he was saying. Like he had no idea what he was talking about. All Peter knew was this is good. This is good. It's good to be with you, Jesus. I don't know what's happening. I don't get everything. I don't understand everything, but it's good. It's good to be here. Can I stay here? Let's stay right here, Jesus. And then it says that they all heard a voice from heaven. That God spoke verbally and said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Follow him, listen to him. This is my son whom I love. God, I pray that right now in this moment, would your presence just ascend into this place? Jesus, would you just come in power that we might all experience just Jesus right here with us in this moment because your presence, Jesus, is good. And we don't understand everything all the time, why certain things happen or what's going on, but it's good. It's good to be here right now with you, Jesus, in your presence, God's son, whom you love, God, and you told us to listen to him. So God, I pray that our hearts would be the same, that we would love Jesus, follow Jesus, and listen to Jesus. That's where real life is found. That's what our soul is longing for. It's to be with you, Jesus, your presence here right now. It's good. And so let us just stay here for a moment and enjoy your presence, Jesus.